Hello and welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast brought to you by Buckeye Dealership Consulting. This week, we have another great installment of I, our How I Built This series, which is, Luke, again, it continues to be one of our favorite, best episodes, best series we do. I think that's always the case, Jeff. Whenever dealers or other entrepreneurs can listen to uh, how dealers built this or how uh, any business owner built this, it's really it's refreshing. Some of the same people are having the same problems we have. Some of the people use yeah. the same products we do. And <clears throat> sometimes it's better to hear where somebody's made a mistake so we don't go and make that same mistake, right? Do the same thing. Yeah. And this week, so we we have um, two of the owners from iGo Motors. iGo Motors is located in Kentucky. Uh, we were able to get Michael Meyer, the president, and Elizabeth Taylor, the CFO. So really interesting story you guys are going to hear on how they kind of develop this car dealership just, I mean, on the back of a napkin from the ground up. <laughs> on the back of a napkin, they are now uh, 2013, February 2013, they sold their first car, Jeff. Uh, so mm -hmm. almost 10 years. 10 years, and they're selling now 160 cars a month. All buy here, locations, pay here. All buy here, pay here. Four locations, five owners, which kind of blows my mind. I couldn't even imagine having to talk to five different people to make a decision. Um, 80 employees, Jeff. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of folks working there. And a central, you know, recon facility and headquarters. Man, mm -hmm. I tell you, that's that's what my dream is one day when I want to get big. I don't probably really want to get big, but anyway. But if you did, um, that's a great model, I think. It's the way to do it. It's the way to do it. And I tell yeah. you, there's a lot of, lot of good information in here. And Jeff, you know what's neat is they talk about uh, their use of GPSs and reinsurance and these and going to conventions and things like that, you know, so many of our sponsors, that's what they're about, right? And it was just, yep. it was great to hear them talk about those things. Yeah, yeah. These guys are using those products that we tell you to use every single time you listen to the podcast, right? We say, get your reinsurance set up with Buckeye, call the guys there, get your reinsurance going. It's a great way to take care of your customers. We say, call Pastime, right? Another great sponsor of the podcast, give them a holler and get, your GPS situation figured out because you need to protect your assets. And you know, and the, what the else last, did they talk about this, right? It was so funny. And the other thing they talked about, they opened in February of 2013 in the middle of tax season. And Jeff, they didn't even know what tax season was. Is that uh, crazy, right? Yep. Yeah. They just happened to time it just right. And of course you guys know TaxMax, another great sponsor of the podcast. Um, now is the time to get your tax program set up. Uh, fourth quarter programs running, and then obviously your first quarter program coming up where you can start filing the taxes right in your dealership, get the money straight to yourself. So that is the pitch for our sponsors, guys. We're not going to interrupt this podcast to, to give any more ads. We're going to get right into it. You are listening to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson. So that, that's actually kind of a funny story because my background has nothing to do with automotive at all. Um, but I was in business, so we were we were building houses. Um, they had a construction company here local, and we were doing um, general contracting and building custom homes. And so we had a lot of the guys that we hired were using buy here, pay here services. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this one particular buy here, pay here in, in our town that just had a bad reputation. And uh, me being a business guy and, you know, I kind of hear reading between the lines, I could tell, you know, even though people really had a lot bad to say about him, he wasn't doing anything illegal. He just wasn't taking care of his customers. You know, he would, he probably didn't even know the car was going to break, but he just kind of said, 
whatever when it broke. Like that's not you know you bought it as is. And so one of one of my best employees, um, even against my recommendation, used you know used this guy, got a got a car, um, and it just it started breaking right away, which we we all know that happens. But it was the way that it went down that really got to me. So he that, um, he had to put a transmission in about three weeks in, which he paid for out of his own pocket, my employee. Um, and then after that, um, the the engine um, started started messing up. And it wasn't like it was long enough where, it, where neglect could have been the cause. It just was a kind of a dud car. And the guy's like, I can't do anything for you. Um, and uh, Josh, my guy, was like, I, I can't, I already, I already spent 1500 on the transmission. I can't afford the engine and the payment. So um, he actually brought, brought the car back to him mm. and, and dropped it off. But he, he told him, he's like, listen, just put it on my payments, do something. I don't, I'll keep the car. I just, I literally can't afford the engine. And you know, you know how our customers are. Oh yeah. Yeah. And well, that, so you go ahead. I, I was just, uh, Jeff, we've had several people who started out of being builders, right? Um, there's been, uh, well, the Watkins, he was a, he was a contractor and, and I think there was a guy down in Louisiana we had on one time that was a contractor. That's just funny that, that, uh, it seems like when people make a lot of money, then they start being, uh, going the other way, developing and and stuff like that. But I guess, Michael, you, uh, you said that y'all got in in 2012. I mean, was the housing market going to crap, I guess, and you had to figure out so something else to do? Our, our local area doesn't really go up or down with the bubbles so much. Um, we're, you know, we're building custom homes for mostly for people moving in from out of state. So everything is still cheap to them. So when you hear about the, you know, the housing market crash, you know, when it, you know, it's crashing in Nashville and, you know, Atlanta and L.A., it, people are still moving here in a little rural town of Columbia, Kentucky. So we never actually saw a bubble, nor did we see a bust. Mm. We just we were pretty steady. At that time, you saw an opportunity through your employee kind of being mishandled by another buy here, pay here. And you said, hey, here is an underserviced or ill handled business opportunity. What was the next step? Why did you so, even so, think, hey, I want to take all this good money I have building custom homes and I want to throw it after this crazy, crazy idea of carrying notes? Yeah, so I, I, um, I, had a, I had a buddy that, that also had, had worked for me. Um, but we grew up with him um, and his brother was doing buy here, pay here down in Nashville. And so he would always talk about how that, you know, how that, how that was going. So I had heard buy here, pay here, knew a little bit about it. And um, so what I did was I went and checked like how much this car cost this guy locally. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, back, back then he actually paid about what he got as a down payment. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we all know that that's, that's old school, but they were, you know, back in 2012, this guy bought this Dodge, uh, car for fifteen hundred bucks ish. I don't know, but that's about what the going rate should have been at the auction. That's what Josh gave us the down payment was fifteen hundred bucks. So I was like, this guy didn't have anything in the car, and he's got a loan. You know, going to get five grand um, out of this car. You know, why wouldn't he keep that customer? That was my question. Um, I, I'm now I'm looking at it not only from taking care of the customer. I'm looking at it from a financial standpoint, saying, why would this guy let Josh drop the car off at the lot? Um, when he could have kept him in this car by fixing the engine, I'm sure he could have got it fixed cheap. That's what I'm mm-hmm. thinking. I don't know, you know, I, I'm, at the time I'm just thinking, what, what is, what is, what is the deal here? So I, um, I started rolling the, the numbers around in my head and the, the numbers in my head started making sense. So I, I started putting them on paper, running some projections and 
And I knew nothing. I didn't have anybody to tell me the numbers. I'm just guessing at everything. I'm like, okay, we can buy cars for a thousand dollars and we can get a thousand dollars down. And then you got, you know, you're selling them for this much. And so I can afford to put a lot of engines in. And yeah. I think if I take care of my customers, I can take all the customers mm. from this local area. And so the, the numbers that I put on paper didn't pan out. We couldn't find cars for a thousand dollars, but we, we made adjustments as we went. The, the fact of the matter was there was money to be made and you could do it while taking care of the customers. So you um, had that idea. You saw that there was the opportunity. I want to know logistically. I mean, did you, did you drop the construction thing and go out and start buying cars yourself and putting them on the lot or selling them? Did you bring in partners and, well, and was so, your idea to scale to the point you are now? Or, or did it start out like, oh, this will be a fun little hobby? Yeah, so no, the idea was definitely not to scale. And the idea was not to quit construction. Um, I was, I just figured buy here, pay here was easy. I wouldn't even need to work. <laughs> like I just keep on building houses, right? Yeah, sell them to your employees I mean, look, and carry the notes just, for them. You just get like three employees and put cars out on payments and they just take care of it. Yeah, <laughs> of course they do. Yeah, it's good to go. So- and so my projections, now here, here's, here's the, what we were looking at. So I'm looking at, like, if we can sell five cars a month. Now I've got, so my brother-in-law, who was working on the road, who, um, who he had married my sister. They, they, they had um, their first child. And, you know, I thought, well, they, you know, they probably want to come off the road. And he knows about cars. Like, he grew up with cars. So, and, and uh, Sarah, my sister, she's um, great with um, accounting and, you know, the, the office management part, she, I'm like, this is a good pair. So I made the call to them and I'm like, Hey, y'all, y'all should come run this buy here, pay here thing for me. You could, you can make as much money as you're making on the road. And, and then I just thought, well, I'm just gonna keep doing construction. So he had this little shop, a little two car garage by his house. And so we set up shop there and we said, well, if we can sell five cars a month, um, you know, we can, he can get paid. I can get paid a little bit, you know, it's like a side gig for me and we're, we'll be good to go. So we, we figured if we sell 10 cars a month, we were, we were, we were really doing something. I tell you know, you. Again, this is a, this is a job for them and a side gig for me. It was so funny is that this is, I've just seen this start this way so many times and, and what you find out quickly in the buy here, pay here space, there's a number that you have to sell to make it make sense and selling five or 10, doesn't necessarily make sense, right? Right, right. And that's how, how it take you to figure paid. that out. <laughs> I'm not getting paid because you know I'm just I'm just you know getting it's just a business for me. And you know if it'll if it'll grow into a little a little something on the side, I'm I'm happy. So I'm I'm just do, over here doing the construction thing. And then as long as I can you know as long as I can afford to pay, um, you know Carrie and Sarah, my my, my brother-in-law, my sister, um, what I agreed to pay them. I was good to go. So mm. well, I, I did need a little bit of money. I had a little bit of money. I need a little bit more money to get this thing going. And so I went to my, my brother um, and I said, Hey, you want to, you want a piece of this thing? Like I'll give, you know, I'll, I'll give you some equity in this little, little thing that we're doing. And you, you put in some money. And so that was my first partner was mm. my brother. And he was on the road as well. He was working for the same company that Carrie was working for. Um, on the road, but he he had saved a little money, so he between his money and my money, we're like, yeah, we can we can sell like ten cars a month for a while, and mm -hmm. so we opened, we sold our first car in uh, in February of 2013. 
So we, we literally opened in tax time. And we didn't really even know what that meant, but that was a good thing. Oh, the only problem was we sold 40 cars that month. Oh, buddy. And, and you had no more cash. Yeah, now we're definitely broke. <laughs> all of our money has been spent. Yeah. My money, his money, all of our money is now out on the road. And we are like, you know, we, we either have to stop or we have to find some money. So this um, is the story of every buy here, pay here story. I mean, <laughs> honestly, we were doing great. We had all this cash and then we had tax time. And then all of our inventory went away. All of our cash went away. And then April 15th, hit, and then we were really screwed. I yeah, mean, that's we're, like, we're just playing broke. Tax guy said, yeah, you made a lot of money. And we're just like, uh, no. Where is it? No, no, we didn't. It's all gone. <laughs> we're very broke. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so you sold 40 in, I guess, in February or in March, February together? That's just first, one month. First, first month in February. And how many cars did you have? Well, we sold them all. We, that's all we had. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, to buy. we went to the auction we started buying cars and then they started selling faster than we could buy them so we then i had to jump in and me and Kara were both buying even though it was supposed to i wasn't supposed to be working i'm still now i'm buying cars he's buying cars um he's trying to fix them he's working at night he's swapping engines um on the floor no lifts oh my um, God. We, we we quickly had to hire him a helper which we weren't mm. planning on doing we wouldn't you know it was just supposed to be him and him and sarah running this thing um there and, and so we ended up getting that 40 gone but we had no car we had no cars left no money left. Um, that was that was it. Mm. Yeah, I, I I've been there. Um, <laughs> I, I've seen this exact thing play out. So, this, February goes. Uh, you buy some more cars. You get those ready. Business slows down a little bit. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it picks up. Uh, when did you leave the construction business? It was it was a little while in. So. What so what happened after we after we ran out of money that first month that um, actually um, Elizabeth's dad, um, another one another one of the partners, um, Alan Lindsay, um, he was he was one of the guys that I was running all these numbers by early, even as I was going through it, um, kind of as a as a check, like hey here's mm -hmm. what he wasn't necessarily he wasn't um, I wasn't prospecting him as a partner. But he was just a, a great business guy in the area. We we knew him. We hung out with him. And so I'm running all these numbers by him. And he's like, "Yeah, I would never get in the car business like that. <laughs> not, not me." And um, but he was he was helping with the numbers and running and building spreadsheets uh, for me. And and uh, you know, he, he started getting a little bit more and more interested, um, especially in in the the in what we were doing. Not in not necessarily in the car business, but helping people get transportation. He started getting interested mm. in that aspect of it. And so. Um, he, he floated the idea of, of coming on board with some cash, um, as an equity partner, um, fairly early on. And I was, I was really not interested in partners, um, that it really it has, it, ha it wasn't how I, I roll in the construction business. I kind of like to call the shots, make the decisions and not have to, you know, worry about other people. But, um, it, it ended up, um, where it, it did start to make sense. And he was persuasive, and he had, and he had, and he had some money. He actually loaned me money before he became a partner. I mean, that's how we were able to get through the second month. Oh. Um, just as, um, and, and he knew it, it wasn't a short-term loan. He knew what was going down. He was loaning me money on it at, at, a, at, a, at a decent interest rate, and it was going to stay in for a long time. I, you know, then family members started, you know, pitching in. They liked the interest rates we were giving. We were doing, we were doing twenty percent early. You know, whoa, to yeah. investors. What's that? 20, 20% return 20%, to investors. Yeah, we were, but, so friends and family are, you know, they got, we're trying to just stay in business. Yeah. 
you know, non, and, non-secured, and, I imagine. Oh yeah, totally non-secured. They Based just on a handshake and. That's a, a that's a big gag. that's a big number to return because you're probably only making about twenty eight percent, you know. Oh, it's it was yeah, it's a big number to return. Of course, we we ran more projections and we you know uh, and taking into consideration the interest rates and you know it still looked like you know the money was there. So I didn't mind spreading it around a little bit, not on a partner, um, not not necessarily as partners, but as high interest rate. I said, if you want to partner with me in in these funds, I'll give you a good return, and that's kind of yeah. how I did it early, but. It wasn't too long before before um, we well first off um, Carrie who who started as an employee um, he wanted a piece of it so he mm. he came in as a partner so now I got me and David who David is you still your brother him. your brother in law yep and so now they're both now they're both partners of course David just he's out on the road working okay. um, and then um, then. Um, Sarah and Elizabeth are good friends, and Sarah starts needing help in the office, and the books were just a plain mess. Mm. <laughs> Have you ever seen a startup buy here, pay here? That, yeah, that is just a construction guy try to try to do, you know, buy here, pay here books. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So you, you love your sister, my dad. but she needs some help. <laughs> well, she's good with she's good with numbers, but she has no idea about accounting. Yeah, yeah, yeah nobody does. I so, mean. <laughs> It's a, it's a complete mystery. So, so that's so. This is what two, three, four, five years into it. We're talking about like twenty. No, no, we're talking about like one year into it. Oh, wow. it, this all changes in one year. So, twelve oh, months. You guys go fast. from zero to sixty. Yeah, things are moving crazy fast. Wow. We, didn't, we never stopped selling thirty, forty a month. So okay. we're so we're trying to come up with cash. We're paying twenty percent. We're we're trying to staff this place. Um, so just a huge so, demand in your area for what you're doing. Yeah, huge wow. demand. We're in the middle of absolute nowhere. Wow. Selling to 12 counties. People are driving from everywhere. Like, they're, we, we put them on Facebook, and they, they just sell them the same day. Like, <laughs> we, we never had more than five cars in inventory. We were selling 30, 40 cars a month. I got a question. It, was that because, it, because I've seen this happen with startup buyer pay years, and what happens is it brings, sometimes it brings people out of the woodwork who, are just bad customers. Were you, did you start to see that early on or were you actually, was it just a, a case where there was a hole in in supply of your of your product in that area or were was it people who had already- Luke's asking, were you, were you ignorant in the beginning and did a bunch of crappy loans to people which, that shouldn't have had cars? Which, which plenty yeah, of people do. do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, what I've seen is in the beginning that happens at a more rapid pace um, in oh, startup buy here, pay here. I mean, did you see that or no? I think there was a hole in the market, but also we would we would literally loan to anybody that had a down payment. Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah, um, kind of loose underwriting. Hey, you're here. You're a good guy. You're local. Let's get you. Yeah, you're good to go. And yeah. we didn't have a lot of trouble with um, – we, we started GPSs um, immediately. Um, mm. that, was, that was one of the things that Alan actually pushed. Um, to make sure to get GPS on all those vehicles um, so we could recover the assets. Um, we did, obviously, we, I mean, like everybody else starting out buyer pay here, we reput our own stuff. I've had the, I've had guns pulled on me, knives pulled on me. You know, it's just, you, you're just out there repoing your own cars. Yep. Um, mm. we, we've, take, we've chased cars down all night long um, and then got, then got pulled over by the cops thinking we were the bad guys. You know, we've done it all. So at so, what point, so at what point in the journey did you come in full time? 
was it a year in, two years, three years where you said, okay, this is now making more sense for me as a career than the construction thing? I'm all about three years. Yeah, about three three years. years. Okay. Yeah. Although I was, um, before I came in full time, it was, it was taking a lot of, a lot more time than I thought it was going to take. So I was basically running two full-time jobs. Yeah. But before I decided the construction thing needed to go, because this was the real deal, um, it was probably three years in. I imagine you weren't married, didn't have any kids at the time. Oh no, I was married with kids. Whoo, man. There you go. Three full-time jobs. So that's right. at one point you brought in more owners and I want to talk about that because you have such a unique ownership structure in having, uh, you know, a private company, but five, is that what you said? Kind of five owners, you, your your brother, your brother-in-law, um, Elizabeth and Elizabeth's dad. Is that the structure? Okay. But how how did that develop? And maybe Elizabeth, maybe you can speak to that. I want to hear from you. At what point did you come in? What was going on? And why did you ever think that you wanted to kind of hook yourself to this, uh, you know, buy here, pay here, car lot thing? I'm not sure I thought that. I really don't think I did. <laughs> did you you got guilted into it or is this? Uh... No, no. It, it actually turned out to be a lot more than I realized. I, like he said, his sister and I were really good friends. And when she started needing help in the office, I had just gotten married and come off the road. My family was a full-time touring band. And um, so my dad did a lot of business on the side, but I just didn't have anything to do and I was bored to death. So why so not? So you're, 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 you're a departure's family? Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> kind of like that. Down that road a little bit. We, we, were, we were gospel. So we sang okay. all over the country, mostly in churches, but quite a few festivals too. It, it was just my whole life growing up. Mm. So coming off that and not having anything to do, I, I was like, yeah, I'll take some books. I'll try to mess with some, I mean, I didn't quite realize how bad it was. I, it, I don't say, I don't say that lightly, but it was, <laughs> it was pretty bad. I'm used to my daddy's extremely detailed and like he has things structured just very specifically. And so I kind of came into it with this, this, like, I didn't really understand quite how bad it was. Yeah. She's so, like, why does QuickBooks say? Negative two hundred thousand. I'm like, oh, don't worry about that. We just use QuickBooks for the P and L. We got the we got the real money over here on the back of the checkbook, hand ledgers. <laughs> Twenty two dollars. Guys... I was like, where does this fifty thousand dollars go? And he's like, blah, 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 blah. that was two whole years ago. I'm like, you all, this is crazy. Like QuickBooks <laughs> ought to say what's real. So, so it, Elizabeth, it, it took a while to get that straightened out, and then I just worked that. It was. It turned out to be a lot of fun. It was a tiny operation, good friends, and and then Sarah had, kept having kids. And they'd be in the. It was just a good time. Like, I I just loved it. I I still to this day I don't know very much about cars, but I do love the business. And so we kept working, kept selling. I was I was doing everything from taking payments to repos to dealing with the repo customers to banking to bookkeeping, and it was just it was just flat a good time. And I have no idea to this day why, because if you told anybody that, they would die of boredom. But then so, you're in, and it's really fun. So are so, you a are you a trained accountant or CPA or anything? No, she is now. <laughs> She's been trained in the buy here, pay here business. Okay, yeah. The school of hard knocks. The school of hard knocks that I go. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And and my dad helped a lot. I, I like to say I reeled him in because he wasn't a partner when I came on as the bookkeeper. And oh, I would okay. go to him and be like, what are they doing? What is this? And he would help me kind of fix big, bigger problems and structure stuff in the bookkeeping a little better. And so by the time, what, when did he come on? 2016? 
No, nah, it was earlier than that. 15, it, it, could, it, it was 14. Okay, so yeah, a couple two, years in, yeah. he did. And at some point along the line, I think Michael was like, well, I don't want to lose the bookkeeper. So they, <laughs> they brought me on as a partner. I can see the potential. <laughs> it was a little bit, there was a little bit more than bookkeeper there. And, and where else was I going to go? I, I was having the time of my life. So they brought me on as a partner, and then that was the five. It kind of sealed the yep. deal. And we've been doing it ever since. It, it gets wild sometimes. I'm not going to lie. You get that many people in a room, especially family. Everyone laughs at us. They're like, how do you do this? We don't oh, yeah. know. But it it I, really works. I, I couldn't. I could not do that. Um, and I think the dynamic, <laughs> a brother, a brother-in-law, no, neighbor, right, daughter. Yeah, that no. would be quite the party. So it's, so we're probably at, what, 2015 or 16, still one location. Is that the case at that point? 2014. Yep. 2014. So. How does the discussion begin to to expand? Um, you, you've got the band together, uh, Elizabeth's band here, and uh, we've got five people who are four of them working in the dealership, one of them maybe not. Um, how do you get everybody on board to start the expansion? And what was your first piece in that expansion? Did you map it all out or did you just go, hey, we're going here first? Yeah, we don't. We, we especially back then we just kind of roll with whatever we think there was a map with demographics like like whiteboard looking thing that said where we should go it mm. hung on the wall forever so there was sort of a plan mm -hmm. our first our first location that was our second our second location the, the first additional location that we had we actually didn't even um open it as the same business we were really trying to, to do some testing and our original business, which was called Integrity Auto Sales, was doing so well. Um, we we were doing 0% interest because I thought, well, that's just dumb to not tell the customer exactly how much the payment is, like you, uh, how much they're going to pay. If you're going to sell them a car for $8,000, they pay $8,000. So mm. um, we, we found out real quick that Uncle Sam likes to rape you when you do that because you don't get to collect the interest as you go and they want the profit all up front. And of course we got to have enough money to, to pay the bills. So we're, you know, it's all in the, it's in the markup versus in the interest. So it's not really, you know, anyway, we, we did, we, we found out pretty quick that um, you should just, if you're going to just get this amount of money, mark the car down and put the interest on it. Mm. Um, and so, but we were doing so well, we were actually a little scared of changing that because it was kind of our thing. So yeah. we opened up business in the next town over and we charged the interest we went with a little bit higher end acb it wasn't even the same name um and we gave away free oil changes and did did some other stuff but to do that we needed somebody to run it so that's when we called david who's a silent partner we said hey now you should quit come 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 run this other lot that mm -hmm. we're so um there you and we learned a lot and we mixed the two models, but at the end of the day, um, they were too close together. And basically what was happening was the customers would just go to both lots and find out what inventory they wanted and go that route. And they didn't care one bit that the inventory was 15% in, you know, interest to one lot and 0% interest at the other. They didn't care one bit what the price was. They didn't care about any of it except for what car they wanted how much money they had down and if they could afford the payments. Mm. So we learned pretty quick that interest was not going to be a problem. 
in the in you know in, in the in the in the customer's perspective. Um, they did kind of like the oil changes, um, and the as far as the inventory goes, you can just put the same inventory, like put the put the high end and the low end inventory on the same lot, and they'll just go and choose in one lot. So we were really losing a lot of money in overhead, and it wasn't getting us any extra sales. So we ended up shutting that location down and mixing the two models and going back to our original location. Hmm. That's um, so and, many people. So many people do that. They open, they open two lots and sell the same amount of cars, Jeff Watson. Um, and it's, um, <laughs> it's just doubles your overhead and it, it takes, uh, it takes people a while to, to figure that out. I'm glad y'all figured it out sooner than later. Yeah. And it wasn't that we weren't planning on expanding, but you, you gotta, you, you gotta do it at the right time. And you've got to pay attention to your location. So I want to know also, as we go down this road of you guys expanding to more locations, when did the like, because it sounds like prior to this, it was almost like the Wild West. Like, you know, Michael was repoing, Elizabeth was repoing, and everyone was kind of doing everything. When did you guys really start to put in like structures, policy procedures, get a DMS? Did that all kind of come about at the same time? Or is that something that recently developed? The DMS, um, kind of, we kind of lucked, lucked out on the DMS because I didn't know anything about DMSs, but I did research and I knew we, I knew we needed to be able to to do this um, on a software, not on a hand ledger. So before we ever sold our first deal, we actually selected a DMS, um, and from the beginning, we we were using a DMS, and it, and we're still using that same DMS to this day, which um, is a little crazy because. I don't know how we picked that one the first time and didn't have to switch like three times. Um, yeah, we are, people do. Yeah, so we are we are going to be switching, but the, the same DMS we started with, we're using to this day. So we we did have that um, mm-hmm. that advantage. What are you on? Got to be um, Wayne Reese. Auto manager. Oh, exactly. Yeah. They ah, exactly. <laughs> um, so um, Alan, um, who's the he's the, the the software guy, the IT guy. He's basically made this DMS work for us, even though it wasn't necessarily designed for it. It's a desktop version mm. of a DMS oh, God. Um, that we're using at four locations um, via cloud server. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah. And so, so and, and so the DMS came along pretty early and you guys have stuck with it and made it work. When did you guys start to have to put in structure? Because I, I think scaling to the size you are now, I mean, that's some growing pains, right? That's like, okay, I'm no longer the one doing the repost, but now I got to teach these people in different locations to do everything consistent. How, yeah. how do you guys coordinate that right now? Or what about those so growing what, pains? The reason that we had to put structure in is because we were looking to to grow. And we we started, I don't even know where we, where we heard that we should be going to the, the, the buy here, pay here conference, which was, you know, back when Ken Shilston and uh, Ingram uh, was, was running the buy here, pay here before NIDA bought them out. And who, where did we decide we needed to go, go to that thing? I don't know where we, where we heard that we got, we need to go to this conference. So we did that. And um, I think we were mainly looking for, for funding. So we, we started a conversation with quite a few of the funding guys, but ended up with uh, really getting um, interested in Primaland. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we never, we never pulled the trigger with Primaland, but what we did, what they did help us with was um, what we needed to be doing to be able to get money like that. Mm. So 
when we started needing money, we we had to we had to come bring the structure together, make sure that the accounting was was in in order, make sure that the accounts were in order, that we had proper contracts, um, that we're doing things you know right. Um, so we that's kind of where it started was at the conferences um, where we we started to learn. Okay, we got to do this and we got to do that, and if you're gonna you're going to expand and you're going to get and you're going to get this funding you got to be doing things a certain way um and so that's where it started was was at our first conference and we um that was in 2016 um where we went to that first conference and we met um tim bird with dealer re um back before every other booth was 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 reinsurance and he was one of them It's so it's so true, you know, like when you when you kind of build it, when you build a business, you know, and myself, too, I'm similar to you guys. I kind of built the plane as I was flying. Right. Like I was like, yeah. oh, let's just let's get into this. And it sounds like that's kind of where you guys did it. Like, oh, this is a great opportunity. Let's jump in. And then you learn a bunch of these things and you kind of build the ship as you go. But you learn that to be attractive, if you have those ambitions where you want to get funding or, or be attractive to banks, you have to have all this structure in place. You know, they yes. don't want to step into a guy that's keeping track of his payments on Excel spreadsheets and, and doesn't know his financial statements. Um, it's a, Luke, I think yeah. we talked about that, like build it as if you're going to sell it. You may yeah, never sell it. You may not ever want to sell it, but you have to build your business as if someday you were going to sell it. Joe, Joe McCluskey said that to us, build it as if you're going to sell it. And we're talking about someone who sells two to 300 cars a month, several locations, probably one of the brightest dealer, independent dealers, if not dealers in the country, told us that. And and it's so funny that primarily, you want to talk about just, just some good people. They're not sponsors of the podcast. They're just good people who, who help dealers get their act together so they can get funding, whether from them or from someone else. Um, I, our business is 37 years old. Okay. And it was run, it was run like crazy, just craziness for the first 20 years of it. Okay. But going to the first conferences and being involved in that is so important. And I'm glad y'all brought that up because if you aren't at conferences and you aren't attending, uh, expos and things like this, you just don't know what other people are doing. Right, Jeff. Um, I tell you, I, that's that's awesome that y'all got there. Something something y'all talked about beforehand, and I I firmly believe this is key to having the amount of locations y'all have, and that's having a centralized recon facility with kind of like your corporate office in that position. Can you talk about how y'all came about going to that and and having like the the center cap with the spokes around it and and how vital is that to what y'all do today? Yeah. So in our, in our first location, we started with a two car, a two car garage. It didn't even have enough ceiling height for a lift. And we, we framed up an office in the corner of it. That was exactly the size that was needed for the motor vehicle permission to give us a license <laughs> and uh, quickly started adding on to that location. And so it's kind of on a hill. So every time you add on, it's like a different level. And everything in Kentucky on a hill. Yes. And so <laughs> we had like we had like 42 editions and each one of them was like a different level. So you really couldn't, you couldn't roll a cart through there, you know. But, er, it, but we ended up with this, we ended up with um, eight lifts um, and we were still subbing out the, the major work. Um, we were still subbing out, you know, we didn't do anybody work. We didn't do transmission work, did little engine work. 
Um, we subbed all those out. Um, but that was that was our headquarters. We turned the original two-car garage, which is 1,200 square feet, into our, our corporate office. But we were still selling out of that location as well. So the front portion of that location, we, we walled it off and we put – one way, one way glass, and we had our sales staff up there, and then we were in the back doing, you know, running operations for both of our locations at the time. Uh, Bowling Green, we had opened the second location ninety miles from us, well, seventy something miles maybe Ooh. from us, and so because we didn't want to make the same mistake, we wanted to go further out into a bigger city and not sell the same customers. Mm-hmm. So we we put a location out into an actual uh, a larger um, area, and we were running those locations from. Um, from Russell Springs, but we were we were having a lot of trouble with the sales being on site of the recon facility because all the customers would want would come in and they'd have these issues and the salesmen want to run them back to the recon guys and we were having major inefficiencies um, trying to and then the you know you get your cars coming in you get your cars going out trying to stage cars um, around your your lot for sale and everybody wants to know is that for sale is that for sale and it just it just became a, a a very a difficult thing when we were moving that many cars through. Um, plus, we only had um, an acre and a half usable there. We were I mean we were just packed in there. Let was, me tell you how bad it was. <laughs> I would pull up to work, and I drive a little Ford Focus, and I would just park it in the middle of the drive because I didn't know where to park, and I figured some <laughs> mechanic would get in my car and move it to where that they needed it so they could get their work done and I could get to my desk. That's how bad it was. I, I believe it. That's yeah, yeah. Acre and a half. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine only having an acre and a half. I couldn't make it work. I think we, that we were, that model is so smart, though. You know, we talk about it all the time. Is you have a centralized recon facility that's separate from your dealership, so that your like you said, your customers aren't like, oh, well, I mean, I can see an open bay right there. Why don't you just roll that in there? Or mm-hmm. hey, well, what's that car doing? Can can I buy that one? And we battle that all the time at our place. You know. We, we have a wall between the front and the back. And we say to salesmen, don't look behind the wall. Like if it's behind the wall, don't worry about it. Sell what's in front of the wall. But right. ha- having kind of that central recon facility, it seems like you'd be able to be, I mean, it, A, economies of scale are really nice to have everything kind of right there. But what about the distribution? I mean, getting things, do you guys move cars between the locations? Do you have like a semi hauler that you ship these cars out to your sales lots? How do you handle logistics? Yeah, so what we did was we, we ended up moving um, the, the sales portion of that um, original location down the road um, about 10 miles into, in, into town. Um, and then we had just the recon um, center there, but we were still subbing everything out. Um, and the, we, we, did, we, have a, we had a three-car three wedge is what we used. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we rolled everything um, in and out. And then our repo trailer was just like a, an actual trailer behind the truck that was like a tilt trailer with a winch. Oh, yeah. And so, and but we, we, we drove a lot off with keys. So mm-hmm. that's, that's basically our fleet was a, was a three-car wedge and a, and a, and a winch trailer. Um, and so we would, we would move those, we'd move those cars out three at a time, um, you know, to, to the either, to either of the locations. And then we moved, we moved down the road about um, six miles to a 30-acre facility with um, with multiple buildings, a nice office. Of course, we built most of it, remodeled most of it. It was a it was an old um, sawmill, and then that's when we moved all of our subs in house. Took we you know we we basically bought all the shops out, moved them in house, 
So we were able to do that. Our junkyard, we had a, we had all of our junk cars were parked three miles from our other location because you couldn't park them on an acre and a half. So the junkyard guys that were running, you know, trying to pull parts off of our junk cars were running back and forth all day long on the road. That's just a hazard. Mm. It takes Jeez. time. And so now we have our everything's on in, on site now. Junkyards on site. All of our stuffs are on site, and we we upgraded um, our our hauling fleet to a semi with a with a six seven car hauler, but quickly realized that it's much cheaper to hire that guy. Yeah, uh, because by the time you pay for your CDL drivers and your insurance <laughs> and maintenance on the truck, and unless you're willing to somehow, you know, hire somebody to to dispatch hauling other people's cars, you're going to yeah. then hit all the way to the auction and, you know, and then, and then pick up the load of cars and run back. And it was costing us almost twice as much as what we could have hired it done for. So now we're back down to the same. We're, now we have a rollback truck versus the, the, um, the winch trailer mm -hmm. um, and back to a three car winch. So we haul our own cars from the, from the recon facility out to the, um, to the sales lots, we mm -hmm. if any cars that have been repossessed that are there needing recon, uh, we'll load those on the same hauler and run them back. So we're running, we're we're not deadheading um, near as much, and we're in the three car way just fine. Everything coming from auctions now are um are hired in. You're hired out. So what's the typical distance from your recon center out to these four sales locations? You seventy we're miles? We're fairly close. Um, We've got the closest ones about uh, 15 miles, roughly, mm -hmm. um, and then we've got one that's 20 miles, uh, one that's 40 miles, and then our longest in, over in Bowling Green, about 75 miles ish. Okay, I mean, so that's so, not that's a yeah. so before before we before we wrap this up, Jeff, I, I want to ask a question of both because neither one of y'all, I grew up in the car business, so you know, it's I, I I'm learning new things about the car business every day. Elizabeth, I'll, I'm gonna start with you here. What is the one thing that has surprised you most about this journey you've had in the car business? Oh, I would say the people. It's it's not just the customers, it's the employees. The people just surprise me. Because things are actually simpler than they seem. So I think that learning, I think what, I, what I'm surprised to discover is I don't have to know a whole lot about anything I'm doing. I just have to be able to deal with people. Mm. So I, I mean, for me, it's just, really shocking um people, people are, are wearing people are, that. yeah uh, it's a people business for sure uh, and michael i mean you were building custom homes and, and now you're building uh, cars to to build a you know a, a portfolio of cars what is it that surprised you about this business compared to what you were doing well really what i wasn't the thing that i wasn't expecting was how much capital it takes yeah that surprised me because you know, we we got in and not you know thinking we were gonna we were gonna get our down payment get our down payment was gonna pay for the car so mm. um, buy here pay here is a very capital intensive business and you you have you've got to turn a profit get some equity into the business or you're just not gonna make it so any, you know anybody that thinks they can they're gonna be able to pull their equity out um, and you know you you you've got a you get a P and L that you know says you make you know so much money and then the government wants to tax you on that money well you can't take that money out you can take you can take some of it out as a you know whatever you know if, if you can't pay yourself a salary then you're doing something wrong obviously 
and it should be a decent salary, you know, compared to the to what the, the business that you're doing. But it's it's capital intensive, and if you don't make a profit, um, you're you're not going to get anybody loaning you any money because, I mean, they're just they're just not going to um, going to put their money up if you don't have your own equity in the business. So a lot, lot easier to lo- to loan money on real real estate, isn't it? Yeah, we, we were. <laughs> We, we we went to and I had a, I had good relationships with a lot of banks you know doing doing the uh, the construction and I went to every one of those banks and every one of them just laughed. <laughs> yeah, you're like we had like a there. loan backed on subprime auto loan. You're like yeah. yeah, we could probably do a floor plan. I'm like I know I don't need a floor plan. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I'm not. I, I'm not going to pay you when I sell the car. Yep, it's not a floor yeah. plan. I'm like yeah, that we don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not crazy. We're not in the business <laughs> throwing money away. So, like, so yeah, I think, I think that what surprised me was, um, you, you know, I, when I got in the business, I thought, well, you don't have to make, you don't have to make much money per car. Like, <laughs> but really, you, you've got to put that profit on the books, whether it's, whether it's real or whether it's fake. You got to put the profit on the books, put the AR on the books and get some equity in the business. Um, so you're, so you're in a position to be able to retain some capital. Who did you guys? But just as a side note, who did you end up going with? You did. You say not oh, Primal End, but with, with one of the local banks. Oh, um, really? So you did find a local bank to step we in. Finally, and... We finally we pulled it off. We um, we we got an accountant um, who who was president of one of the local banks, and he sees the he he sees the number, and he we went to his his bank, which he still has a lot of stake in, and they turned us down, and he was he was really upset about that. Um, cause he considered it a good loan and he, um, his, his biggest rival in business when he was banking, when he was the president of the, the of that bank, um, was a lot more aggressive, um, and a lot more of a risk taker. And so he actually referred us to his biggest rival mm. and, uh, they came up with a plan, which is very unique to be able to collateralize our assets, um, even without being set up like a primal end or something, um, and we've grown with them for the for for this this whole time. Um, we're about to their cap now, so we'll mm. we, we'll be on. But they they've got us to where we are now. That's a, that's a great story because that's that doesn't happen every day. Yeah, it, but also a great lesson. You always yeah, want to shopping, shopping those banks against each other is always smart, no matter what you're doing. You know. I think we we think as buy here pay here dealers we're so excited just to get one bank to say yes or think we can even get in one to get a line or a real estate or anything but like you, you always got to you know play them against each other as much as you can for sure any any other parting words you guys for the audience listening uh, takeaways things you wish you'd done earlier things you wish you hadn't done um one probably one of the best things that we did and I know a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of buy here pay here's are doing it now. Most of them probably are, but the reinsurance is probably one of the best things that we did. And um, what we what, not just not just for the you know for putting money away, um, you know tax deferred for yourself, but actually charging the customer extra for the services, and then taking care of the customer. So mm-hmm. we, what we do is we charge customers for. For those those um, those um, side, side items that that we're reinsuring, whether it's the you know the CPI or DCC or your service contract, whatever you're gonna whatever route you're gonna take, um, you know the, the customer will pay for that because they they can do that in lieu of you know your, your, their full coverage insurance or 
and Lula paying for their own engine or you know, there's some there's some value there. And you can take that money and turn around and use that same money to take care of your customers. So we don't we're not real strict when a customer comes in and they're broke down on what is, you know, actually covered and what's yep. not covered. Now, we do charge differently. They, we might put it on their payments if it's not covered. Um, and then charge the, the the service contract what that can be charged. But the really the, the big thing is um, get get some reinsurance, charge extra for it, and then we use all of that money to take care of our customers. Not not the not the necessarily the the portion that we get to keep in our reinsurance company. But any any markup on those products all goes back to the customer, along with paying the customer's claims out of that money. That's a yeah. That's sage advice right there. Taking care of the customers, keeping these customers on the road. What's actually what's got you into the business is the only way to stay in the business. That's for sure. Guys, thank you so much for your time. This has been fun. It's such a fun story. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Pleasure. Dealers helping dealers. Please leave us a review and subscribe. The Independent Dealer Podcast.